Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Steve Hayes. And Steve, during this Republican presidential campaign, we've said it again and again, I've never seen anything like this. And then you wake up, and here's yet another unbelievable story. Campaigns agreeing not to campaign against each other, but to give each other territory, and then they can't even keep the deal going for 24 hours. What the heck is going on? Well, this this has been uh, an extraordinary, I guess, 18 hours <laughs> of of an extraordinary campaign where you had last night uh, the, the Kasich campaign and the Cruz campaign issuing sort of side-by-side press releases announcing something of a non-aggression pact uh, with each other in an effort to stop Trump, Donald Trump from accumulating the required 1,237 delegates. So the Cruz campaign said they weren't going to be uh, competing in New Mexico and Oregon so that Kasich might do better there and that they were going to be focusing their time and attention on Indiana. The Kasich campaign put out a, a similar sort of complimentary statement. Well, within hours of those statements, something that you really the never Trump forces have been hoping for, asking for, encouraging uh, for months now, uh, that non-aggression pact appears to be, if not falling apart entirely, uh, meeting with some serious challenges, in part because the campaigns seem not to know what the heck they're doing. As you mentioned, Kasich's Indiana state director today said that he hoped Indiana voters would not vote for Kasich as a result of this pact. Uh, but Kasich himself, just a short time later, said that he fully expected Indiana voters to continue to support him and to cast votes for him which kind of defeats the purpose of doing this from the beginning. Uh, so it's a sort of a, a window into to where we are on the entire campaign and might help explain why Donald Trump, despite being uh, deeply unpopular with half of the Republican Party or, or close to half of the Republican Party, is, is still the front runner. Uh, okay, so I don't understand this. What, 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 what does John Kasich think all these negotiations are about if they're not about give your strategic vote to Cruz in this state and then give your strategic vote to me in that state. I mean, what, what, what's, what was all this then? I have absolutely no idea what John Kasich thinks. Apparently the New York times, Jonathan Martin was reporting earlier uh, today that this was worked out. The details of this plan were worked out by Jeff Rowe, uh, Cruz's campaign manager and John Weaver Kasich's campaign manager. And that the candidates themselves may not have been aware of all of the, the back and forth uh, and what exactly was the expectations were. But it seems pretty clear that you're going to have, if you're going to have some kind of an arrangement whereby you work together, you cooperate uh, even from a distance uh, so that, you know, the candidates, the other candidates, the non-Trump candidates can do better in places where they're better suited to compete against Trump, that the expectation would be, you wouldn't be seeking votes in a state in which you're not competing. But that seems not to uh, to have gotten to Kasich, and, and this is really just sort of a uh, uh, a huge cluster right now. Yeah, it's a, a real mess and very depressing for those of us who want to see not Trump uh, at the convention, in part because uh, this is something that could have that could work if uh, John Kasich would get on board. You can you can see how winning Indiana for Cruz, particularly if he wins it with most with, with as the combined not Trump candidate, could really make a difference. And then you could see possibly John Kasich and 
you know, picking up a, a delegate or two here in uh, Washington, Oregon, and New Mexico. In other words, the plan makes sense. The people who can't execute it are the actual candidates. Yeah, I mean, that's what it seems like um, at this point. And, and look, let's be clear about the prospects for this, this plan. I mean, we've seen a pretty tremendous shift in uh, conventional wisdom, and I think, you know, reflecting sort of the sentiment, the accurate, actually reflecting what's happened over the past month, over the past several weeks even, uh, since Wisconsin, where Cruz emerged victorious, had a very good night, looked like he was making uh, you know, some progress toward consolidating the non-Trump support and could potentially by himself begin to accumulate enough delegates to help deny Donald Trump the 1237 he would need on the first ballot. Uh, that changed pretty quickly, I think, in part because of what we saw with the results in New York, but also in part because of a series of polls in places like Indiana, uh, California, and elsewhere, which seem to show that Donald Trump is, is not losing support, that Ted Cruz has not built any momentum really coming out of Indiana. And so I think what you're seeing here uh, from the Cruz and Kasich camp uh, is is sort of a desperate last-ditch measure, um, maybe hadn't been as well thought out. These discussions have been taking place now for several weeks. Maybe the final uh, compromise that they reached was not as well thought out as it might have been. But, you know, Donald Trump was, was on Twitter today, as he always is, saying that this was an act of desperation um, and that, you know, this deal, the fact that there had been this miscommunication among Kasich and, and his folks suggest that politicians can't even keep deals that they've made. And as much as it pains me to, to say it, I think Donald Trump may be right about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And th what he's wrong about, though, is his claims of collusion. There's no secret deal going on anywhere. Both teams sent out press releases. Unfortunately, apparently the Kasich campaign didn't get the press release to John Kasich. And so he didn't get on board. But this is just campaigning. Right. This is just smart campaigning. And this is what bothers me, right. uh, Steve, as you can see, Step one, win Wisconsin. Step two, win Indiana in a way that you dominate the delegates and keep them from Trump. Step three, cherry pick California, and you show up at the convention with Trump not having 1237. And uh, some of the reporting I've seen at the Wall Street Journal, uh, Steve, suggests that maybe out of the 2,500 or so delegates who will be there, Trump may actually have 500 of them who want him to be the nominee. The other 2,000 don't. And so you create, you, you, if you deny the nom a nomination on the first ballot, you've got a real chance to do something different. But if Ted Cruz and John Kasich can't you do steps two and three, then this is all a waste of time. And Trump is going to essentially win it by default, particularly if the trend continues to normalize or mainstream Donald Trump. The strongest tool that the never Trump people have is so many people see him as an utterly unacceptable choice. Well, if that changes, it's definitely all over, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think that's that's got to be part of the concern. Um, look, what you say, I think, is exactly right on, on the question of ballots and delegates. I mean, Ted Cruz has made tremendous progress over the past several weeks, much of it quiet now, much of it being reported on more um, in accumulating delegates who are likely to support him on the second ballot, um, including a very good weekend this past weekend. The question is whether this will ever get to a second ballot. I think if it did get to a second ballot, the odds would be high that Ted Cruz could win on a second ballot, despite the skepticism that establishment types would never support him. But it also seems um, less and less likely that, that we will see a second ballot. I mean, I think that's the real 
dilemma here. And what you what you've seen in this you know this normalization of Trump, I think we've seen it in fits and spurts before, right? We've seen the establishment, uh, actual establishment types, not this um, sort of specter of the establishment that Trump people always raise. Actual establishment types say, you know, six weeks ago, well, I could see supporting Trump. He wouldn't be that bad. And people trying to get comfortable with that idea. I think we saw it even more in the in the past week. Um, you, you, you haven't had strong conservative governments in upcoming states like a Mike Pence or a Larry from Indiana or a Larry Hogan from Maryland really speak up uh, or speak out against Trump in the way that one might have uh, hoped if you're in the never Trump world. And you saw comments from Marco Rubio, who had seems to be pretty squarely in the never Trump camp before backpacking and, and I mean, backpedaling and, and seemed to seeming to suggest that, well, he maybe could get around to supporting Trump because Hillary Clinton was so bad. Um, yeah, I think the more that you see that and the more that you see the Trump campaign itself try to to reach out and bring on establishment, actual establishment type Republicans, political consultants, the people who have, you know, played this game in some cases for decades in Washington, I would argue, giving us the results that we have. The more that you see the Trump campaign engage those folks and bring them on board, the, the more you're seeing this normalization accelerate. And do you have a you, you dug up a perfect example from the campaigns themselves. Yeah, there, I mean, this is this is the way that, that this works typically in this world of political consultants in in this insider uh, politics that Trump claims to be against, but is actually practicing. Um, he hired Rick Wiley, the former campaign manager for Scott Walker's campaign, uh, about ten days ago, and. Wiley had been uh, against Trump, not very excited about Trump. I wrote a piece that we published the Weekly Standard website on January 22nd, uh, a very tough piece on Trump and on Republicans suggesting that Trump is, is uh, you know, wasn't a, a conservative, didn't deserve the nomination. But if Republicans couldn't stand up to fight him in an effective way, then maybe that Trump was the candidate that Republicans deserved. And I'll just read you a short piece of the the second paragraph from that piece, I wrote, the Republican frontrunner is a longtime liberal whose worldview might be best described as an amalgam of pop culture, progressivism, and vulgar nationalism. His campaign rallies are orgies of self-absorption dominated by juvenile insults of those who criticize him and endless boasting about his poll numbers. He's a narcissist and, an, and a huckster, an opportunist who not only failed to join conservatives in the big fights about the size and scope of government over the past several decades, but to the extent that he was even aware of such battles was often funding the other side and went on and on of Trump. Well, I got uh, a text from Rick Wiley, now Trump's national political director, responding to that piece. And it said simply smart piece today. So this guy who <laughs> wrote me praising a piece that was very tough on Donald Trump is now serving as his national political director in an effort to try to get him uh, to be the Republican nominee and presumably to be elected president. That's exactly the kind of insider BS that have had people like me and you and other conservatives, movement conservatives, so frustrated uh, over the past several years. And to see Donald Trump now practicing it after he announced in public that he was going to go establishment as he got closer to the Republican nomination suggests that, he, you know, he's conning 
Republicans and conservatives around the country and announcing to them that he's conning them while he's doing it, which is what makes all of this really so remarkable. Donald Trump and the establishment, they deserve each other. Uh, Steve Hayes, thanks so much for joining us for the podcast. Exactly. I appreciate, appreciate your time. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.